The reading for this morning is taken from Psalm 31. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. For I hear many whispering terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. This is the word of the Lord. Speak to God. I invite you, as you're able, to uh, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 19, or on your wherever you're looking at a Bible. And uh, we're continuing today uh, with the series called Dying Words, Dying Words. And I'll read for us John chapter 19 and verse 30 as we look at uh, this word of Jesus on the cross. When he, that is Jesus, had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Let us bow down, let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word, which is eternal. This word will pass away. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but your word endures forever. Grant, O oh Lord, that we may hear this word that you have for us this morning, that the meditations of our hearts may be pleasing to you, in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, friends, there's one cross that stands in the middle of history with a dying Savior upon it. There's but one cross in the history of humanity. There's one Savior who is hung there on our behalf. And there are seven words recorded in the Gospels that Jesus said as he hung there on the cross for us. And this series, which uh, Pastor Bill and I have been sharing, uh, is called Dying Words. And today we come to the sixth word of this Savior on the cross. One cross, one Savior, seven words. And today we come to the sixth word of Jesus on the cross. It is finished. The title for today's message is just the word gospel. And I hope that as we walk through the meaning of this, this last word, it is finished, we may hear for ourselves anew and afresh the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of this Savior. It is finished. We might want to ask ourselves as we come to these words in John chapter 19, verse 30, what is finished exactly? What is Jesus talking about here? Is it 
the drink that we've just heard about in verse 28? Is it, is, is it the, the vinegar that has been offered to him? Is he talking about the drink? Well, grammatically speaking, as we look at these verses, we might be able to argue that strictly speaking, grammatically, that seems to be the thing in that moment which he is finishing. But in fact, in verse 28, we see that, the, that John is writing these things so that uh, be, uh, later knowing that everything has been finished, that phrase. So there's a sense of, ev- there's a bigger sense, that phrase, everything has been finished, is in verse 28. So it's more than just physically that cup that he's drinking. Is it his life that is finished? It is finished. Is Christ speaking about simply his physical life here being over? Well, I think it's even more than that that is being said. Otherwise, why wouldn't Jesus have just said, I am finished, I am done, it is over, my life is finished. Jesus is not just throwing in the the white towel. He's not giving a cry of despair here that his life is now over, that I am finished, that it's all over. For us, I think, to understand what Jesus is saying here on the cross, it is finished, we have to remember in some ways, what that word means and how it's used in the Bible, that word finish. And in fact, every time that word finished is used in Scripture, it seems to be pointing to a sense of an attainment of a goal, the completion of some project, the completion of something that has been ongoing for a while and has now come to an end. Paul writes in Acts chapter 20, about how he and his missionary work, in his proclaiming the gospel work, how he had come to a place in Acts 20, verse 24, about finishing the work, finishing the race. In 2 Timothy, we see the same thing. I've finished the race. That word in Greek, tetelestai, for us to just get into this phrase, you need to remember that in Greek, that phrase, it's finished, carries a sense of completion a sense of a task being carried out and done, a sense of accomplishment. In fact, the, the, message, paraf- the, the message paraphrase of the Bible translates this verse, verse 30, uh, it's done, it's complete. Some scholars say you, you could also paraphrase that whole sentence by saying, it has been and remains forever accomplished. It's in Greek in the perfect tense. Something has been accomplished. In fact, in Matthew 27, we hear that when Jesus is most likely saying this word on the cross, he says it in a loud voice. It is finished. So let me try an experiment with you all this morning. Can you say it is finished in a really quiet voice? One, two, three. Okay. Can we look at Matthew 27, pretend we're at a baseball game? Can you say, can you yell it? Maybe in a loud cry, as Matthew 27 suggests Jesus may have said it. One, two, three. There's something, I think it's something like that. There's a finality to this, what Jesus is accomplishing on the cross. Friends in Christ, what is finished on the cross? 
Jesus talks about the work that he's come to do in John chapter 4. I've come to complete, finish the work that, Je- that the Father has given me. That's what I wanted. In John 17, he talks about finishing your work, Father. What is the work here? What is the thing that Jesus has finished on the cross? What is he talking about here on the cro- on, hanging on that cross, dying for us, that he has completed for all time and for all people in every place? I want to suggest to you this morning a one-point sermon. <laughs> Four sub-points, though, but one, one-point sermon. The work that he is finishing is this. He's, he's finishing his work of redemptive suffering on our behalf. He's finishing his work of redemptive suffering on our behalf. You know, this is all through the Gospels that he's come to die. Matthew chapter 16, there's that, there's that conversation Jesus has with, with Peter that he's got to now go to Jerusalem, must suffer, and he must die. And Peter says, no, never. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. There's a must here that Jesus must go suffer and die. We read in, in uh, Matthew 20 that he Jesus says, I must give my life as a ransom for many. In John, he talks about himself being the good shepherd who will lay down his life for his sheep. The trajectory, the goal, the direction, the finishing in the life of Jesus as revealed in the Gospels is finishing uh, the work of redemptive suffering on our behalf. Friends, let me put it this way. Jesus Christ did not come into this world from heaven to make a contribution to religion. Jesus didn't come into this world to be a good example to us that we must follow in in a way. Here's a perfect moral figure, therefore we must be following his example like that. He didn't come just to do that. In fact, Christianity is much more. Jesus came as the Savior to die. Isaiah 53 Verse 4 puts it this way. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, and yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. So I want to suggest this morning as we look at it is finished and his finished work of redemptive suffering on our behalf, I want to suggest this morning, as I said, a one-point sermon, four subpoints. I want to suggest four ways that we can Think about the finished work of Jesus for us. And they might be on the screen there. The first one, I'll give, the, I'll give them all right now. The first one is his sin-bearing sacrifice is finished. His payment of debt is finished. The turning point in history which he's given is finished. And his victory over Satan is finished. First, the sin-bearing sacrifice is finished. Now, as we look at this phrase, it's finished, in the context of John chapter 19 and verse 28, we need to remember that Jesus is crying out these words on the cross, it's finished, in the context of the first Palm Sunday and the Passover festival. He's on the cross, hanging there, uh, during the Passover festival, which is a remembrance of what? It's a remembrance of the time that God's people were freed from Egypt, and there was a Passover lamb sacrificed in the houses of God's uh, people in Egypt um, in order that death would pass over them. And so we see Jesus here on the cross hanging as the final Passover lamb. 
as the one who is sacrificed once for all. We read in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, a sacrifice once and for all, a much better sacrifice. And how do we understand this sense that Jesus came to be a sin-bearing sacrifice for us? I think we need to start with this recognition and acknowledgement that we as people and God's people from Adam have a major problem, don't we? We have a major problem that we've not been able to deal with by ourselves, and it's the problem of sin. It's the problem of what sin does to us. It's the problem of what sin does to our relationships. It's the problem of what sin does to our relationship with God the Father and the, in a way, wrath of God. And Matthew chapter 1, when Jesus is, uh, his, his, his birth is told by the angel, in Matthew chapter 1, we hear that he will be the one who will save his people from their sins. In John chapter 1, very early in this gospel, it's cried out, um, Lamb, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so his and also just to bear in mind that as Jesus is hanging here on the cross on this Palm Sunday, uh, that if you're listening to this with Hebrew ears or Jewish ears, it is finished. You'll hear the same word echoed in the temple by the priests as they finish. They'll yell the word finish as they sacrifice the very last of the sacrifices in the Passover festival every year. The last sacrifice is sacrificed for sin and they will cry out the word finished. So what's happening here is Jesus is, in the very first sense, Jesus is, it is finished, is I believe in the context of, verse, of chapter 19, really proclaiming, and the Bible teaches us that he is our sacrifice for sin, that this problem we have with sin that requires a sacrifice, that requires a remedy for us as people and our relationship with God is, sad, is, 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 is accomplished here on the cross as he lays down his life for us. Now we read about this in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Oh, let's go to that for us. Romans 3, verse 23. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there's the big problem that every person all through history will deal with, including you and me. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. And then in 1 John chapter 10, it's on the screen as well, I'll read this for us. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10, we read this verse. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so there's a need proclaimed in Scripture for an atoning sacrifice for our sins that, that if we were to be left without this sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that we would be fallen from the, from the goodness of God, that sin would lead us to death, that we would be, in a way, without help and remedy in this world. God, we know, is against sin. We know God is angry at sin. We know God is against all evil and all of its manifestations in the world. 
And so we have in the Old Testament this whole series of sacrifices that point to this reality. And then we have here on this Palm Sunday, Jesus hanging on the cross, crying out, it is finished, is the last final sacrifice once and for all. And what does all of this do? And what does all of this mean? Well, we read in the other Gospels, as Jesus cries out, it is finished, what happens? Something happens, the, the temple curtain rips in two. And Jesus making a final sacrifice for us on the cross as the Passover lamb means that our access to God the Father is changed forever. That that place, the Holy of Holies, which was set aside far from God, inaccessible, that temple curtain is now ripped in two. And that we are meant to live our lives in Jesus Christ, knowing and assured that we are accepted by God the Father, that God is completely for us, that Christ has died for us, and we're meant to know intimacy, love, mercy, and grace from God the Father because of this sacrifice for sin. It is the solution, the remedy, that all people in every time and place have longed for. So it is finished, a sin-bearing sacrifice. It is finished. Number two, payment of a debt. Now, if you were listening to this word finish being cried out from the cross um, with Roman ears, <laughs> you, might, uh, you might just hear this uh, tetelestai, you might be reminded of this fact that in the Roman world, uh, if somebody owed something to a person, money for example, uh, and you would have a bill, an invoice, like you might have today, this is what's owed and why, and then once that bill is paid, uh, the, 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 the Roman would actually write on that bill the word tetelestai, or it is finished. The word tetelestai would be written on that bill as shown as paid. And as Christians come to understand the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, in the, as we read the New Testament, it becomes clear that, 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 that sin, the problem of sin, is like can be, we can understand it as us incurring a debt. Us incurring a debt. And, you know, on a very experiential level, if, if we sin against a friend or even just think about a person for a minute, Oftentimes, we want to, we feel that we're indebted to them. We want to make it up to them, right? Say even we, you know, smash somebody's, you know, pottery in their house. You know, we, we feel we want to make that up to them in some way. And so experientially, we all know that sin does incur some kind of a debt between people and us to God. And what's interesting is in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14, we read about this, what happens on the cross of Jesus Christ with the debt that is that we incur because of sin. And I'll just pull that. I think it's, there it is. It's on the screen as well. The screen's always faster than me. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14. The work of Jesus on the cross. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it all away, nailing it to the cross. So friends, look. The Bible reveals to us that on the cross, Jesus takes the debt that we have because of sin, an IOU in a way, he nails it to the cross, and he writes on it, finished, because of the work that he's done. 
And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, we're described as people who have been purchased by the blood of Christ. A sin-bearing sacrifice, the payment of a debt, it is finished. We can also look at it as a turning point in history. With classical Greek ears, that word tetelestai, if you're a Latin person standing by the cross, Latin world, Greek is still spoken. That word, it is finished, talks about the changing of eras, the turning of an old era to a new era. Just think about Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 for a minute. God finished creation and said that it was, it was complete. It was finished. Jesus crying out, it's finished on the cross, is not only a sin-bearing sacrifice and the payment of debt, but Jesus is also inaugurating a new era. It is finished. The old era is gone. What is that old era? What is, what is, what's happening here with this turning point in history? Well, in, in some ways, it's a turning point for all of us because of what Christ has done for us. If we are consumed with grief, then we can turn to Jesus who bears our grief. If we're overwhelmed with sorrow in our life, we can turn to a new way and remember that Jesus carries our sorrows. If we're trapped in our lives in some kind of um, sin or transgression, we can remember that Jesus was wounded for our... If we're tormented, we have no peace in our lives. We can turn to Jesus and remember that he was chastised for our peace. There's a turning point in history on the cross and a turning point for every person. Look, Romans chapters 5, verses 9 to 11, puts that turning point in history this way. Romans chapter 5 and verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were, sin we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled Shall we be saved through his life? Before the cross, we are enemies of God. Because of the cross, we are reconciled to him. Our lives are changed. This work of the cross is a reconciling work of Jesus Christ, a turning point standing in the middle of history where we may be drawn to God, reconciled to God the Father because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's a sacrifice for sin. It's finished. It's a payment of a debt. It's a turning point in history. And finally, it's victory over Satan. And very briefly, Christ cries on the cross, not in resignation, not in a white towel, it's finished, not in a, I'm over, I give up. When Jesus cries on the cross, it is finished. It's a cry that acknowledges his defeat of Satan and his defeat of evil. And Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 teaches us, that what happens on the cross and Jesus, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The cross 
with a bleeding Savior, the cross with a humble Savior, the cross with a suffering King is a cross of victory and a cross of triumph over evil in the world. And that's meant for us as Christians to be a comfort. What is finished? His work of redemptive suffering is finished. What does that mean? Well, it means as a sacrifice for sin, we, our relationship with God is changed forever, that the problem of sin is remedied. It is finished. A payment of a debt. The debt that sin occurs has been paid. Jesus comes to pay a debt that he did not owe <laughs> so that we could pay a debt that we were unable to pay. It's finished. Uh, we have this turning point in history, a point of reconciliation. It's finished. Cosmically, evil is defeated on the cross. Friends, what do we do with a, a sentence like this for our lives? How do we live? How does this change our lives? How does this affect us? How does this help us as we go to live in the world? Well, I think in some ways we need to remember that this phrase, it's finished on the cross, is the ultimate statement of God being for us, not against us. Reading the Old Testament about God being against different nations and different peoples in different times. But here God is for us. It's finished. How are we called to live? I think we're called to leave in a place like this with a, a new comfort, a new acknowledgement. We're called in Romans to offer our lives as a living sacrifice. We're called to live as people who have been purchased by the blood of Christ. We're called, I think, to reevaluate our lives in terms of success, to reevaluate our lives in terms of their goals and where they're headed and what we're hoping for. Maybe we're called to reevaluate our lives in terms of the work of Christ on the cross. Maybe success for us looks a lot different now that Jesus has died for us in this way. Maybe it's a lot less about worldly gain and acquisition and a lot more about being crucified with Christ as we read in Galatians 2 in chapter 20. But friends, I also want us to consider as we leave from here, uh, as we come to the Lord's table in just a few minutes and Pastor Bill will lead that part of the service, I want us to remember the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. I want us to remember how that prodigal son wandered away, far away from God, far away from the father in that parable, and he comes back. And what's the reaction of the father when that wandering son comes back? What's the reaction of the father in that parable when the son who has gone out and messed up his life badly uh, comes back to the father? Does the father in that parable close the doors of his mansion and put on a padlock? Does the father call the security guard down at the gate at the end of the estate and say, do not let that son in. Now, what does he do instead? The father does what a Jewish father never does. He runs. He runs out to that son without any, hardly any dignity and embraces him. And what does he do? He sets a table. 
He sets a banquet table. He kills the fatling. He slaughters the animals. He sets this bountiful table before that son. And friends, I hope that we will uh, leave here today and come to this table today considering that the work of Jesus on the cross allows for that banquet to be set for us. Friends, it's finished. The banquet table's set. The, the calf is <laughs> ready. It's all before us. Jesus has done all the work necessary for our salvation. And we're invited now. It's a well-meant invitation for us to come, to come afresh, to come anew, and receive of the grace and mercy of God. It's finished. Look, friends, this phrase teaches us, reminds us that each one of us is completely bankrupt of resources to save ourselves. And what we need, the Bible teaches us, is a supernatural invasion of grace and mercy from outside this world so that we might be able to stand and live in the presence of a loving and holy God. Let us bow down, let us pray. Gracious Father, how we thank you for the suffering of Jesus on the cross and all that it's accomplished. We've heard it, some of us, so many times. Some of us this morning may have heard this message of the gospel for the first time. Whichever it may be, Father, I pray and we pray that this word may sink deeply into our hearts and lives, that we may be encouraged as we need encouragement, changing as we need changing, and that we may respond in ways that are pleasing to you, the God who has created us, made us, loved us, designed us. We thank you, Father, for Jesus and all that he's done for us. We pray in his name. Amen.